Well, good evening. Good to see you tonight. Looking forward to our time in Revelation again, chapter 13 tonight. And uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting book. So far, the first 12 chapters have been really interesting, and uh, we continue on with it, so uh, starting in 13. We will uh, have one week, uh, of course, one chapter per week. We'll be wrapping up August 31st at the end of the summer because so we got some really interesting chapters to come. But glad that you're here. Those joining us by online, we welcome you as well. We always have a large group on Wednesday nights studying Revelation with us, so we're glad that you're here as well and looking forward to our time together. Let's pray together and we'll get started this evening. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together tonight to study your word God, thank you for revelation, for giving us this vision of John. God, that you can uh, show us what's going to happen and, and ultimately who wins. But also, Father, of all that will take place in the conflict between, you know, between good and evil and between uh, the enemy and you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would be our teacher tonight. Show us exactly what we need to know. And God, I just pray as we study it together, those who are here, those watching online, that you'd, you'd instruct us so we'll know better how to live for you and to please you. We thank you tonight for Jesus, the victory you give us through him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your outline there, again, you can download that on our website. If you go to media and then Wednesday nights, uh, or you can do the QR, QR code whenever you come in at the back on Wednesdays as well. But first of all, letter A is a recap tonight, looking back at where we are. Of course, we've talked week after week. As a reminder, the word revelation means apocalypse, an unveiling, written to the seven churches of Asia Minor, currently Turkey. Uh, John wrote it on the island of Patmos around 90 AD, and of course, written to the letters to the seven churches. He had the vision of God chapters 4 and 5 and of Jesus taking the scroll scroll was open the seven seals were broken followed by the seven trumpet blasts first four seal judgments were judgments upon the earth and then the uh, the first four trumpet blasts were judgments on the earth as well after the seven trumpets were blown then we saw the last week in chapter 12 where a vision in heaven where a woman is giving birth uh, and immediately, as soon as the woman gives birth, there's a dragon there to try to kill the child. Well, you can tell from that that the, that the woman obviously is Israel producing Jesus the Messiah, the child, and the dragon, of course, being Satan trying to destroy Jesus. Then we saw it last week or, or two weeks ago, Satan being thrown down to earth, and making war upon Israel. So that's where we pick up tonight in chapter 13. And chapter 13 is really a continuation of chapter 12. <clears throat> so the dragon has been introduced to us. This is Satan himself. And so tonight we see not only the dragon, but we see two beasts. Uh, and we're going to see how the dragon and the two beasts form like a trinity, like Godhead forms a trinity. We're going to see that tonight. I think you'll find that interesting. So it's a mock trinity that Satan's trying to produce just like God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's trying to imitate that and mock a trinity, uh, first beast, second beast, and the dragon. So, so we've been introduced to the dragon. Now we're going to see the beast tonight in chapters 13. 1 through 10 will be um, the first beast and 11 through 18, the second beast. So let's look at those tonight. Letter B on your outline. Let's look at the first beast that rises out of the sea, verses 1 through 10. Now, by way of introduction to chapter 13 tonight, 
You look at this, and not only did John receive information in the visions of Revelation about the dragon uh, in chapter 12, but now he receives information about the chief instruments the dragon's going to use during the tribulation time. A lot of things that, that you have heard before that are we're going to talk about tonight, the number 666, the mark of the beast. Things that you've heard before, we're going to talk more in detail because we're introduced to them for the first time. Now, part of Satan's strategy in the tribulation is going to be control. Control of the government, control of the economy, control of nations, He's going to centralize a global economy. He's going to centralize so he can control. Tonight we're going to see that the Antichrist is going to have everybody chipped with a microchip or sealed for electronic tracking, uh, electronic commerce. We're going to see that tonight, chapter 13. Some countries are already doing that. The United States, China already tracking citizens electronically. Uh, biometric chips are already today in place, used in place of credit cards, your keys, your social security numbers. Or th These are not things that are futuristic. You know, years ago, I started preaching, and you start preaching about that. Everybody's like, you know, roll their eyes, like going, how in the world could that happen? Now today, we see very well how it could happen. You don't have to be an alarmist today to picture this uh, happening. The Antichrist is going to register people as a part of a one-world economy uh, with everybody having an ID that's either printed or tattooed or implanted, and you're going to have to have that in order to have daily commerce, to get food, to go to the grocery store and to buy, and things like that. So the mark of the beast makes more sense, I believe, to us than it has any previous generation. Because you and I can kind of picture how that could happen. Uh, it doesn't take an alarmist tonight to see how modern technology can be used, and if it falls into the wrong hands, used against us. And that's what's going to happen. And so we're going to see that tonight in chapter 13. So, the scene shifts. Chapter 12, we were seeing a vision of heaven. Now it shifts to a vision on earth. John is standing on the seashore. Remember where he is, Patmos. Patmos is a tiny island out in the Aegean Sea. We were there. Some of you went with us there. As you're standing there on the island of Patmos, you see nothing but water all the way around you. So he would have visual access to the sea. So he is looking out at the ocean, and as he's looking, all of a sudden, he sees a beast come rising up out of the ocean. And so he's standing there, and he rises up. Now, who's the beast, and why is he coming out of the ocean? Two questions I want us to look at. Verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. With ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on his horns, and blasphemous names on his heads. Now, I want us to talk about verse 1 a little longer than, than maybe the other verses because there are several things that are here. First of all, in, in the Bible, whenever you see something coming up from the sea... 
the Jews saw it as something foreign. When they saw something coming from the land, they saw it as native. It's one of them. Something they knew. If it was coming from the ocean, it was something they did not know much about. So the dragon summoned the beast from the ocean to try to destroy the woman's offspring, the Israelites, and his people. So why the ocean? Why the sea? Well, Jews were frightened to death of the ocean. I've mentioned this before in sermons. The ocean for you, for you and I and for many of us is very peaceful. I mean, you go to the ocean, it's beautiful. You sit there you know, on the beach and, and it's relaxing to us. It was not relaxing to Jews. The Jews were deathly afraid of water in the ocean. To the Jews, the sea was wild. That was untamed territory. To the Jews, the ocean or a body of water was a figure of evil, a figure of chaos. Of, uh, it was a figure of resisting God. In fact, many Jews believe that not even God controlled the ocean. It was out of his control. That not even God controlled bodies of water because as I've mentioned to you before in sermons, they felt like that they were ghosts on the bottom of the ocean, in the bottom of bodies of water. They are very superstitious about water. That's why in so many cases in the Gospels, Jesus will show his mastery over water. He walks on the water. They realize, why? He, they realize, he's showing the, the Jews, I'm in control of this. He's asleep on the way there's a storm. And they say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And he gets up and he says to the ocean, Quiet, be still. And it goes quiet. Why? To show he has control over it. Because Jews thought not even God had control of the ocean or bodies of water. So you see Jesus in water a lot showing he has control of it. So now we see a beast rising out of the sea. That would have scared Jews senseless. A beast coming up out of the water. And I wonder what John thought. By himself, on the island of Patmos, and he sees this beast rising up, he probably turned and ran. Him being Jewish, that probably scared him to death. Now you may say, well, pastor, didn't the Jews have a navy? Well, they did during Solomon's day. But remember... Even when they had a navy during Solomon's day, 1 Kings 9, verses 26 and 27 tell us that King Hiram of Tyre provided the sailors. So not even Jews would become sailors. So they're scared, scared of water, deathly afraid of the ocean or bodies of water. Remember Jonah. Whenever he ran, he got on a ship because in his mind, I am just getting away from everything native, everything I know. I'm going to a place not even God controls. I'm getting away from God. So he thought if he got on the boat, he'd be on a place where not even God could control. God would leave him alone, he thought, until the great fish. So this is the Jewish mindset about the sea. In fact, you remember later in Revelation, we'll talk about it when we get there, whenever John saw heaven, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no more 
see. Everything was calm, everything's in control. So now he sees a beast rising up, foreign, chaotic, evil, something out of God's control in the Jewish mind. And he had ten horns and seven, uh, and ten diadems, seven heads. Now, why would he have ten horns and seven heads? Where have we heard that before? Ah, we heard it in Daniel in our sermon series, didn't we? Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. There were four beasts in Daniel, and the tenth one was the Roman Empire that had ten horns, or, and, and the representative of the ten nations. So, because of that, there are some people that believe this beast is not going to be an individual, it's going to be a nation. A nation that rises up, like the Roman Empire, revived again. Or others say that the beast is going to be from Rome. Antichrist is going to be from Rome. So that, that leads a lot of people to wonder. My, my microphone just fell off here. Leads a lot of people to wonder, is it the Pope? So that's why you've heard through the years about the Pope being the Antichrist. I'm sure it's probably, you, many of you have heard that. That's why. Because in Daniel, the ten-horned beast was the Roman Empire. And could it be the second time rising up from Rome, one who controls and is against God? That's why you hear that. Why seven heads? Well, it would make him harder to kill, wouldn't it? You, you kill one head, you still have six more heads. So this beast is going to be hard to kill. Why is the diadem on, diadem is a crown. Why would you put the crown on the horn, not the head? Because every other place you put a crown's on the head, right? Put on the horn, on top of the head. So a lot of theologians believe the reason why is because the authority of the beast is going to be from sheer brute force, the horn, not from the head or anything that would be intellectual. It's going to be by brute force the Antichrist takes control. Now let's talk a moment about the Antichrist. We'll move on to the other verses after this. Talk about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is this beast that's going to rise out of the sea. The word Antichrist is mentioned five times in the Bible. How many times in Revelation? None. Four times in 1 John, once in 2 John. But it's not mentioned. But the beast is the Antichrist. Now, Antichrist literally means instead of Christ. Not opposite of Christ. That's important. Instead of Christ. So the Antichrist is going to try to replace Christ, not be the opposite of Christ. Why is that important? Well, think about it. That means the Antichrist is not going to be going around doing the opposite of Jesus. Jesus went around doing good. That doesn't mean the Antichrist is going around doing bad. Jesus went around with, with, with goodness. It doesn't mean he, the Antichrist is going to go around with evil. He's not. The Antichrist is going to appear good. He's going to look like a replacement for Christ instead of Christ. Now, a lot of people, if you say Antichrist today, they're going, oh, he's, 
he's going to be ugly and he's going to be repulsive and he's going to be doing bad things and, and he's going to be evil. No, no, no. He's going to be charming. And he's going to be wonderful and he's going to be successful and people are going to like him. And he's going to be a winner. He's going to appear as an angel of light. He's going to be praised. He's not going to be the opposite of Christ. He's going to be instead of Christ, replacing Christ. So, you won't know it's him until after his popularity and power have risen. You're going to think he's a great guy first. Even believers are going to think he's a great guy. Now, there was a movie a while back called The Omen, which talked about the Antichrist, and even born, he was demonic, and he was evil, and he was sinister, even as a baby, and even as a little boy, and even as a child. No, 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 that's, that's not the Antichrist at all. He's going to be charming, and he's going to be influential, and people are going to like him, and they're going to see him as the answer to the world's problems. Think about that. If somebody arose that everybody, even Christians, liked and said, that's our answer, the Antichrist. So he's not opposite of Christ. He's instead of Christ. And there's going to passage, we're going to read in just a moment, you're not going to know he's evil until he's already come to power. His evilness will fool you. You're going to think, you know, I thought he was good. I thought he was on our side. I thought he was the answer. Then you're going to find out you're wrong. So, it's the Antichrist, it's the beast. Let's go to verse 2. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon, remember the dragons from chapter 12, that's the devil. The dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. So the beast is going to be an individual, the Antichrist, who rises up that Satan's going to give all of his power to. Satan's going to give all of his power to this man. Now, why would we hear leopard and bear and lion? Where have we heard that before? Daniel. In our sermon series in Daniel, we heard that in Daniel chapter 7. And we saw from Daniel 7 that the, the lion represented Babylon. We're, we're actually told that. It's not eisegesis. We're told that. Lion represented Babylon the bear represented Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the leopard, Greece. And sure enough, after Daniel, those were the next three, and, and the fourth, of course, being Roman Empire, those were the next three and four who would come to power. So at the end time, when the beast arises, he is going to have all the power of those four empires together. You think Greece was powerful by themselves? He's going to be four times that powerful. You think Babylon was powerful by themselves? He's going to be four times that. You think the Roman Empire was powerful? He's going to be four times greater than the Roman Empire. So this beast, verse 2, has all power like we have never seen before. 
Now, is the Antichrist a person or is it a nation? There are some theologians that believe it's a nation. It's not a person. However, most references refers to a single individual rather than a group of people. So, most Bible scholars believe that it's not going to be a government or a nation or an empire. It's going to be a, an individual. But now, we all know sometimes individuals represent nations. For example, if I were to say Hitler, he, or if I were to say Nazi Germany, we equate the two together, don't we? That's how this is going to be. It's going to be a, in, an individual, but we're going to equate them with the power that they have, uh, and all the power is going to come from Satan himself. Verse 3. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. Wait a minute. What does that sound like? Resurrection. It sounds like a resurrection. It sounds like the Antichrist is going to be killed and it's going to look like he resurrected. Remember, Satan always tries to mimic God instead of Christ. So he's going to try to put himself out there to be everything Jesus was, including down to the resurrection. So, very interesting, always trying to mimic. Satan's always trying to mimic Christ, always trying to be Christ, the Antichrist. So, in verse 3, we see that the, the, the enemy is going to imitate a resurrection. And it's going to be so amazing that the entire world's going to fall for it. Look at verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So, this resurrection, excuse me, is going to be, <coughs> excuse me, so impressive the resurrection is, when he imitates this, everybody thinks it's going to happen. They're going to follow the beast, not knowing they're really worshiping Satan by doing it, but they're going to follow the beast, and the world will follow him, be amazed at his power, believe that he cannot be conquered, and he will appear invincible and elicit worldwide admiration because he resurrected. They think. So, very interesting. All the way down, look at verse 4. Who is, everybody's going to say, who's like the beast? What does that sound like? It sounds like Psalms, where they say, who is like the Lord? Who is like the beast? Everything about God, he's trying to replicate for himself and steal the glory of Christ for himself. Resurrection, who's like the Lord? Everything's going to be turned around to the beast. So, picture with me if you can. A world leader. Everybody loves, charming, successful. Everybody likes. Something happens where he's killed, and it's on all the newscasts. 
oh, we're sad because he was killed. Oh, my goodness, he was such a great guy and a great leader and so charming and everybody liked him. And, and the newscasts are all there. And on the third day, all of a sudden, he gets up. And CNN and Fox News and everybody leads with, there has been a second resurrection. Jesus isn't the only one to have come back. We have a second one. And it's so amazing and it is so believable that the world falls for it. Wow. Well, that's the Antichrist. Now, I'm not saying this is him. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm, let's just imagine right now, Vladimir Zelensky in Russia and the Ukraine, everybody... He's charming, he's, he's the good guy. Let's say a drone took him out and Russia killed him in the battle. Tonight, that would make headline news, wouldn't it? And let's say three days from now, he resurrects? Are you kidding me? Do you think the world would be willing to follow him after that? Absolutely. So I'm not, I, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's him. I'm just saying you can imagine what it's going to be like when the Antichrist does rise. Do I think it's Zelensky? No, I don't think that. But I'm giving you an example of imagine what it will be like when it happens. Now, go to verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So the beast, the Antichrist, I can see going on newscasts, I can see him on all the news stations, now speaking and everybody hanging on his every word because he came back from the dead, and everybody goes, wow, this guy's something. And every word he utters is blasphemous toward God and toward Christians and toward Jesus. And the world's going to applaud and it says, verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Going to go on for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. The last half of the tribulation. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Now, what I find interesting here where it says it opened its mouth at the beginning of verse 6. In the Greek language, that is a, what's called a constantive aorist, which means it happens over and over and over and over. It's constant. Three and a half years. You're going to hear blasphemy against God on newscasts and everything out of this person's mouth for three and a half years. But he's going to be so powerful and convincing and charming and believed to have resurrected that everybody's going to believe what he says. But for 42 months, it's going to be blasphemy. And then, speaking against, of course, against God and, and his people... And it says, verse 6, he opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, talking about heaven, and those that dwell in heaven. Why would he care about those already in heaven? Some Bible scholars say because the rapture has already happened and those that escaped his grasp, he's angry at, speaking even against them. We don't know, but that's what some say. Verse 7. Also, it was allowed. Notice kept calling it it. 
It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. He's going to come hard against any believers that are here. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. So who's going to follow the Antichrist? Every tribe and people and language and nation. It's going to be worldwide. Verse 8, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has any ears, let him hear. Who does that sound like? Jesus. He said many times, several times, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, John says it. He says, if you're listening, you better listen carefully. Because this Antichrist is going to be so convincing and so powerful. You better listen carefully. So you're not one of the ones fooled when you see him. Now, what is interesting is we're not going to know who it is. And we'll talk about that in a moment until after he gets here. And I'll tell you why we won't know that in a verse that's coming. Look at verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must be, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So the government of the beast is going to persecute Christians. The government of the beast is going to wage war against believers. The beast is going to be served and worshipped by the world. And believers better beware so you're not fooled. Okay, that's the first beast. Let's go to the second beast. We, we see now, letter uh, uh, C on your outline, verses 11 to 18, a second beast. Who's the second beast? It is a prophet who glorifies the first beast. Okay? So, so don't lose me here. It is, it, is the, it is a prophet who glorifies the first beast. So let's, let's read about him. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, not the sea. So the scene shifts. John's looking at the ocean. He sees a beast rising out of the ocean. Now he turns and looks at the land, and he sees another beast rising out of the earth. So it's, it's something native, something known, right? Remember, the sea was foreign. The earth is native. The sea is not known, the land is known. So it's going to be a false prophet who glorifies the first beast. He said, I saw another beast. Now, in the Greek language, anytime you see, and I won't go into, into this in great detail, but anytime you see the word another, it could be another of a different kind, another of the same kind. And they use two different Greek words to, to show if it's another of the same kind or is it another of a different kind. And this one is another of the same kind. So he's going to be just exactly like the Antichrist, but he's going to be his helper. Another of the same kind is going to rise to prominence, and he's going to be a servant of the Antichrist. Now, there are some people that believe this, and let me tell you why. 
Some people believe the false prophet is going to be from the Arab nation. He's going to be, he's going to be um, Palestinian. And the reason they say that is because if he comes from the earth, it means local, it means known. Whereas the water means foreign, it means unknown. So a lot of scholars read into that, meaning that the Antichrist is going to be someone who's foreign to the Jews and not known by the Jews, but his prophet is going to be local to the Jews and known to the Jews. So a native politics, political system, and a native economy would be the Arab nation right around them. So because of that, some people believe that the false prophet is going to be from the Arab nation. Now, notice what it says in verse 11. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Now, that's odd. You don't think of someone associated with the Antichrist of being like a lamb, do you? Who's a lamb like? A lamb's like Jesus. So again, they're trying to mimic lamb-like qualities of Jesus instead of Christ. Replacing Christ is what they want to do. Lamb-like and mild, but the authority of the dragon. Authority of Satan, but mild and lamb-like like Jesus. So the second beast is to be a prophet of the first, a spokesman of the first beast to uh, the, uh, yeah, and, and to glorify the first beast. So, wait a minute. In the Godhead, you have the Father, and in Satan's Godhead, you have the dragon who is trying to be godlike. In the Trinity, you have Jesus in the unholy trinity you have the first beast the antichrist who wants to be jesus all the way down to the resurrection and now you have in the real trinity father son the holy spirit what's his job to glorify the son go to the unholy trinity the false prophet what's his job to glorify the beast you have an unholy trinity and so it's fascinating what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to create his own Godhead, his own trinity with the dragon and the first beast. And now we have the Holy Spirit counterfeit the, the prophet. Verse 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast. What does the Holy Spirit do? It has all the authority of Jesus, Right? In its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed tells us again oh he was resurrected it's gonna look like a resurrection so you have the dragon seeking worship that belongs to God the first beast seeking to rule the world like Jesus and now the second beast glorifying the first beast you have the counterfeit Trinity verse 13 it performs great signs, this second beast, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. Wow, this false prophet, this second beast, is going to have so much power, it can do signs and wonders. It's going to call down fire from heaven. Now, Jesus' disciples wanted to do that a time or two. And the false prophet's going to do it. And by the way, 
you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how this all looks like the Exodus? Well, here, Pharaoh's magicians, they call down fire and do the same thing as Jesus, or other God's magicians, or not magicians, but servants to Moses and Aaron. So there will be signs and wonders that this false prophet does. Now let me give you a warning. Be careful because a lot of Christians today say, you know something's from God because it's, sign, it's a sign and wonder. No. The false prophet's going to do signs and wonders. That's why some people are deceived. It's frightening because a lot of people think signs and wonders are proof something's from God. I've heard people say before, Pastor, you can know when God is at work because it's backed up with signs and wonders. False. The devil will do signs and wonders. So, be careful. Those who think like that are the ones who will be deceived. The enemy will do signs and wonders. And a lot of people will conclude that they're real. Verse 14. Or verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to, front of, uh, to earth in front of the people. Verse 14. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So the false prophet, this third one, this second beast, is going to make an image of the first beast, the Antichrist, and have everybody worship it. Some people believe, some Bible scholars believe it's a statue. Some believe it's going to be an android. We don't know what it's going to be, but we do know that there will be a convincing likeness of the Antichrist that's going to appear, and people will worship it. Verse 15. We'll get to the last few verses. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. To, uh, uh, yes, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So this image, android, statue, whatever it is, is going to be given breath and speak and command people to worship the image of the Antichrist. Verse 16, also it, all cause, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Verse 17, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. We'll stop right there and then we'll get to the last verse before we close. I want you to notice here that it says that the second beast is going to give life to this first beast image. There will be a command for everybody to worship the Antichrist, and whoever does not is going to be executed. How will we know who worships the beast and who doesn't? There's going to be a mark given called the mark of the beast. If you worship the beast, then you are going to receive the mark that you did it. It's going to be on your right hand or on your forehead. By the way, why the right hand or the forehead? Do you remember whenever God's people were to keep his word, the phylacteries that they, that they wore and the Jews still wear? Do you remember where they were to wear those? The forehead, 
and the left hand. There's that opposite again. There's that instead of again. So, they're to be branded either on the forehead or the right hand. It's going to be a brand-like mark, like a tattoo or something to identify them as a worshiper of the beast. Some say a chip, we don't know. Now, slaves in biblical times in the Old Testament, they were branded with their master's name or logo or mark. They were his. Roman soldiers in the New Testament sometimes would brand their own bodies with emperors, emperors they did not like. They couldn't say anything. They could brand it on them. They didn't like them. So a lot of them did that. But verse 17 says, you're only going to be able to buy items or sell items if you have proof, the mark, that you have worshipped the beast. What kind of proof are you going to have? Well, there will be something that proves that you did it. Back in Roman days, whenever Caesar demanded worship, you were required to take a pinch of incense and throw it toward the statue, the image of Caesar that was your worshiping. And whenever you did, you received what was called a certificate of worship that you worshiped Caesar and you were allowed to buy and allowed to sell. Caesar made it a law you couldn't unless you worshiped him. So you would go before a temple, take a pinch of incense, and you would sprinkle it toward Caesar. Some Christians did that because they didn't want to not be able to buy and sell. And there may be believers in the end times that worship the beast because they won't be able to buy or sell or get food if they don't. Now, you know, we can, we can, couldn't, it'd be hard for us to imagine this for years. That's not real hard for us to imagine anymore, is it? That you need a document that proves you've done something in order to go somewhere or enter a building or get food or we, we can see how something like that could happen in, 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 in the days to come. So Christians who refuse, how are they going to eat? Who are alive at this time? Well, they're going to, if they refuse to worship the image of the beast, they're going to have to pool resources. They're going to have to get necessities in clandestine ways. Maybe God's going to have to provide supernaturally for them. We don't know because there won't be any other way to buy and food and get gas and, and have your bank account open to you. Otherwise, it'd be frozen like already happening in some countries. If you're a Christian, they freeze your, your bank accounts. And so you can see how commerce and business cannot take place place during this time unless you take the mark that you worshiped the beast verse 18 this calls for wisdom let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six 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 now let's close there let's talk about that and we'll close there the number of the beast's name will be 666. Now, back in biblical times, numbers correlated to letters uh, in the ancient world. Now, notice verse 18 says, it's going to take wisdom to determine the name of the number. Believers will be able to do it once they are in that time. 
So the Antichrist will be ascertained who he is only after he appears by those believers who have the wisdom to calculate and know. The word calculate that's used there, sifasato in Greek, means to calculate or to count the 666. So we're told not everybody's going to know who it is. But there will be some believers who will have the wisdom who will be able to count it, but you're not going to know it until you're actually in the time when the Antichrist has already arisen. So, for everybody who is here, everybody's watching, anybody else out there trying to calculate the Antichrist, you're wasting your time. Can't do it until he's here and in power. Now, through the years, there have been all kinds of attempts to calculate who is the Antichrist going by 666. They've done all of this um, numbering, numerology, and it's, some of it's come out to be Caesar in the Old Testament, uh, New Testament. Some of it has come out to be Nero. Some people believe, believe Nero is the Antichrist. Some believe the Pope. Uh, John Knox was believed to be the Antichrist in his day. Martin Luther was to believe the Antichrist by Catholics in his day. Napoleon was to believe to have been the Antichrist in his day. Hitler was to believe to have been the Antichrist in his day. So was Mussolini. So was Stalin. Uh, I remember Ronald Reagan. People said, oh, Ronald Reagan, it's the Antichrist. Ronald, R-O-N-A-L, that's six letters. Reagan, R-E-A, that's six letters. Wayne, oh, it's five. No, um, <laughs> I, I remember that. John Kennedy, uh, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. I've heard all of these of being the Antichrist. You can speculate all you want. You're not going to know it until, unless he's already in power and you have the wisdom to calculate it. Now, there are others that believe there are six Roman numerals. The letter I, the letter V, the letter X, the letter L, the letter C, the letter D. Six of them. And so if you add those together, they add up to 666. So they believe the Antichrist will be from Rome. That's what some people believe. We don't know. Some people also believe that the year 1666 was significant, that the beast was somehow given extra power in the back in the year 1666 because 1,000-year 1, reign in the number 666. And so people try to go about this in all different kind of ways. In fact, I've even heard where the number 36 is significant because if you add the numbers 1 through 36 together, they all add up to 666. And the word beast is mentioned 36 times in the Bible. Well, all of that kind of stuff's conjecture, to be honest with you. But do remember this. I think it's kind of interesting. There are some that believe this. Uh, remember Solomon, the Old Testament? He was a good man who kind of became corrupt at the end of his life. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, we're told that all the gold that he accumulated equaled 666 talents. Because of that, some believe the Antichrist will be like Solomon, a good man, who then becomes corrupt at the end. Here's what I find interesting about 666. As you know, numbers in the New Testament have significance. Seven is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of God. Whenever you see seven, it's an act of God. There were seven baskets that were taken up. Jesus uh, uh, fed the, 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 the 5,000, and so you know then that it was a work of God. So the number seven significance, number of God, number of perfection. The number of six is the number of man. Because man was created on the sixth day, 
six days shall he work, uh, we're told. And so you see a lot of sixes in relation to man, sevens in relation to God. So because of that, some people see seven as the number of perfection, being God, six being the number of man, then 666 being a reminder that Satan always falls short of the 777. God would be the three sevens in total perfection of the Trinity and God. That the 666 is a reminder of the ultimate of what mankind can become but never achieve Godhead, never be God. And Satan's always reminded of that by the 666 that he's always man fallen short of being God. Not, not man, but, but in the Antichrist, personified man falling short. We don't know, but that's what a lot of people believe. The number, why the number 666 is significant. So, one of the main lessons as we close, we're already past our time. One of the main lessons that we get tonight is this. Folks, imitations work. Imitations work. They fool people. And the entire tribulation is going to be Satan trying to imitate the Godhead. And it's going to work. He's going to fool a lot of people. Just make sure you're one of the ones that's not fooled. And that you see all of this happening, you understand what's happening, where he's coming from. And even when you see what's happening in the world today, you understand who's behind anything that is anti-God or the anti-Christ spirit that's already here, we're told, in the book of John. So in summary, chapters 12 and 13, there's coming a one-world system, a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world economy that the Antichrist is going to have control of communication worldwide, technology worldwide, the military worldwide, and it's going to be a time of great persecution for believers in Jesus. But we know in the end, the Antichrist is defeated. God rules victorious. So we'll get to that starting in chapter 14. If you have any questions or comments, see me afterwards, email me. I'd be glad to respond. And sorry, we're five minutes past the time tonight. Let's pray we'll dismiss. Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are victorious. We see something like this tonight. It's frightening, Lord. It, it, it makes us realize that what kind of power man can have and influence that man can have upon the world. Father, we trust you tonight knowing that ultimate victory lies within you. May we trust you and follow you even this week in the world in which we live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.